This afternoon, uh, we're going to be continuing our walk, uh, actually finishing our walk uh, through the book of Hebrews, uh, looking at the last few verses of Hebrews as a largely a recap and some final words of exhortation, just as he's giving in the text, as well as some encouragements regarding uh, how believers have ties together. But once again, let's hear from Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, remembering those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders since those, uh, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let us pray. Our Father, here having heard this, your word, your voice to us, we pray you would help us to receive it as such. As we wrap up our walk through the book of Hebrews, we pray that you would um, refresh within our hearts all the various different things that uh, you have revealed to us from your word, and that we might continue to apply them by the work of your spirit to our thinking, to our lives, that we might hold on to all the more by faith, Jesus Christ, the one who is the greater than. And that we might grow in this one who is the greater than. We pray, our Father, that you would work in each of us according to your purposes and your will. Would you guide this preacher, chain him to the text of your word, that he might freely declare truth. And may he do so with clear, clearly, with accuracy, and with understanding. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this week, uh, while, uh, meeting some, while meeting with someone at a local coffee shop, I uh, ran into someone that I seem to always run into at 
uh, one of those two versions of the local coffee shop, and that's another local pastor in town, a pastor whom you think a Reformed Baptist would not get along with, but he's actually one of my favorite in-town pastors to talk with, um, in part because, uh, in Reformed Baptist, because he would be from what we would call a Wesleyan-Arminian perspective. Uh, but I, I really appreciate him because he believes the Bible in a, in a denomination that doesn't believe the Bible. And he has to face a lot of opposition. Um, he's one of my favorites to talk to. But we were talking about what the things we're teaching, things we're preparing. And I mentioned to him that, that uh, this Sunday we'll be wrapping up uh, the book of Hebrews, which we began back in November of 2021. And I, and I thought about it and I said, it's bittersweet. It's sweet because we're wrapping up the study and we've learned so much. But it's also a sense of sadness for me because, as you remember, when we started the book of Hebrews, I was, had great trepidation. I was, well, I had an, I knew what I thought Hebrews said. It's, so, it's very hard to put what I see there into words, and I was really struggling as, and preparing for it. But I must say, the book of Hebrews has become a very good friend of mine over this last I guess it would be over two years. Become a very good friend of mine. And I'm going to miss uh, preaching week, week after week the book of Hebrews. Uh, at the same time, I'm excited about all that we've learned and all that I have learned. Ways that I myself have grown and pray that uh, you have grown from the, uh, benefited from the overflow of that which I have been learning and growing. Today we're going to be focusing on the last uh, four verses of the text, verses 22 through 25. The closing words of the author. Uh, he, well, first of all, we're going to look, we're going to look at um, his closing statements regarding bear the word of the exhortation. Uh, just the idea of what's being said there. And then we'll talk about his expectations of Timothy to come, as well as the closing statement of grace be with all of you. Uh, first of all, in his closing statements, in his appeal, he is reminding them to bear with them his brief word of exhortation. Bear with my word of exhortation, not necessarily brief. But he says, with my word of exhortation, which would communicate that it was a quick thing, so to speak. We might say, wait a minute, this is a long book. How could he just simply say a word of exhortation? In light of the subject matter which we have been learning, in reality, this has not been all that long of a letter. Sitting down, reading from beginning to end could probably be read, depending on one's reading skill and level, uh, anywhere from maybe 15 minutes to half hour, uh, maybe a little bit longer if we're being more careful. It's not that long of a letter in light of the subject matter, but it is packed chock full with significant things that we learn. For what he has stated in this letter is of utmost importance. For what he has stated in this letter has everything to do with the, the very meaning of our existence as Christians. The very basis of our existence as Christians is in this letter. And so the significance of bearing with this word of exhortation, which we'll talk more about that in just a little bit as a, in recapping this word of exhortation. But he's recommending to bear with this word of exhortation. That is to remember the things that he, that this author has been recommending and com not just recommending but commanding and is declaring to be the truth of God's word. We often are always drawn to new things. Out with the old and in with the new. The book of Hebrews in reality is, a, is as we've learned, is not presenting anything new. He's interpreting for us that which has already come before and showing how Christ is at the epicenter of the biblical revelation from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Christ and his work of redemption is, at the, is the focal point of Scripture's revelation. And he is the sum of all that God 
has been working towards in history. And so to bear with this word that has been given is to be reminded of things that we know and often have heard before. And so we must be sure that we bear with this word. So while we are leaving the book of Hebrews as a teaching thing for our week to week, let us not leave what is in Hebrews behind. Let us remember what is here. And keep the things that we have learned before us. The word of exhortation that we have seen in this book. Because he says, I have written to you briefly. That's where he says brief. I have written to you briefly. Again, while this was short in length, in terms of, for example, if you read many academic works, might be several thousand pages long. One that I'm listening to right now is, is an audio book that's 60 hours long. I don't know how thick it is as a book. I've never seen it. And while that deals with significant subject matter, it is nothing compared to what we have had in this brief book of Hebrews. And so we must keep what is in here before us. Secondly, he points out, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes. Whomever, whoever wrote this book was an associate of Timothy. That's one of the reasons that Paul is put forward as oftentimes as, a, as the author of this book. And, it, you know, there's reason to believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There's also good reason to believe that he didn't read, didn't write the book of Hebrews, especially if you know Greek. The Greek of the book of Hebrews reads nothing like the Greek of the book of Romans. But it could be argued that because of the content and the subject matter, if it was not Paul, it was someone who was very close to Paul. Well, we don't want to get into that debate. Whoever it was knew Timothy. And he gives good news that Timothy has been released. Remember earlier in chapter 13, he gave the exhortation to remember those who are in bonds as though we were in bonds with them. That is to uh, live and think and pray in solidarity with those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here he recognizes that Timothy has been released, meaning Timothy at some point in time had been in chains. He had been jailed, held in some way or form or another. And he says, whom I shall see you if he with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. But notice here the expectation of his visit. While Paul may or may not have written the book of Hebrews in a number of his own letter in a number of his letters, he talks about his eagerness to see those to whom he is writing. To the Roman believers, he expresses desire to visit. The Corinthians, he speaks several times of his desires and plans to see them. In the Thessalonians, he writes to them and he says, I greatly miss being with you all and wish I could be there. But the Lord, uh, it was determined it was best for him to move because of the various different things that were the Thessalonian believers were facing. But what we see here is in this author's longing to be with the believers to whom he's writing. He's recognizing something that has been mentioned in the book. That is the great bonds that we have with one another in Christ Jesus. Yesterday at the men's meeting and looking at chapter 2 of Rediscover Church, we uh, talked about being adopted into God's household. The question of chapter 2 is who can join a church? Who can be part of one of these outposts or embassies or consulates of God's kingdom? The answer is, one who has been born again and who's been baptized. Who can uh, join with uh, formally uh, with such a body of believers. 
being adopted into God's household. When we, talk, when we talked about, when we think about conversion, we often think about conversion primarily in terms of our relationship to God. We have been reconciled to God, and that is the basis of it all. But sometimes we run the risk of speaking of it exclusively in terms of our union with God in Christ. But in uniting us and bringing us into right relationship with, his, with himself and adopting in, us into his household, we have been adopted into his family and been united with everyone else who has been united to God in Christ. Even the people that we might struggle to get along with. We have a union that transcends all other earthly bonds. All other earthly bonds. The bonds between believers are eternal. Familial bonds, as important as they are in human society, are not eternal. For in the, in the kingdom, Jesus says, people will neither be married nor given in marriage. The bonds in Christ are eternal because of the blood that was shed to make those. So this author, in expressing his desire to be with them and the expectation that they would be delighted uh, to see him as well, is rooted in this reality. Because in Christ, who is the greater than, we have a greater than union than any other possible union that people could have with each other. When, some, when, a, a child, when a parentless child is adopted, they are not only adopted in relationship to the mom and the dad, but they are adopted in relationship to the other children that that mom and dad have too. One who is adopted into the house, into a family, but yet is never with the others, never has anything with them, is at best missing out on something that is vitally important. And so it is in Christ Jesus. Our bonds together. In chapter 10, he mentioned the importance of not neglecting the assembling assembling together. Remember, he gave a series of exhortations in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, first exhortation, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Second exhortation, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Third exhortation, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then an ING word, which gives uh, an important element of all of these, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you say, see the day drawing near. Vital to our own spiritual health is one another. Hence Paul's, or the author's expression of the bonds here. The vital aspect of our union with Christ is one another. We must not view ourselves as living in little bubbles. I live in my own bubble. You live in your own bubble. You live in your bubble. And I'm only responsible for what's inside my bubble. In reality, my good is bound up in the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. My good is bound up in the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Because we are the family of this Christ who is the greater than, the one who is our older brother, so to speak, as he spoke of. He has become like one of us in his humanity. He is become our brother. 
And so here, the expectation of seeing one another, is of uh, seeing them, is of great delight. How much should we be eager, even... We, even when we struggle to get, a, get, even when we struggle maybe with some personality quirks or differences of opinions on some things, how much more should we be eager to be in each other's company? Because we need one another. Because we're bound together. We're eternal family. Because we point one another to the one who is this greater than. We minister to one another this truth of who is the greater than. Not many of us, some of us may have been. I had the privilege in 2000 of going to a place where there are very few Christians and there is much opposition to the gospel in the, uh, in, the, in the land of India. And I remember being on the subway and I heard a Christian talking. And they were talking some theology that I didn't necessarily agree with. They were talking, I mentioned earlier, Wesleyan theology. They were talking Wesleyan theology. But guess what? I went, I, I like this person. I like this person because they know Christ. And I was eager to be with them. Because all, all around me, I was surrounded by folks who may very well, had they known our purposes, been reported us to authorities to kick us out of the country or something like that. But I knew this person would not. So we must ensure that we value one another. Recognizing that those things that hold us together in Christ transcend the various different things that divide us. He also mentions to greet all your, all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Again, the, these are believers. He's sending greetings not only from himself, but also those from Italy, most likely People they will never meet. Send them greetings. Most likely from Rome. Sending them greetings. Once again, this shows the bonds not only of us here, one another, in this body, or believers in any other gospel church throughout the world, but us with all believers everywhere. The bonds that we have. Because of this one who is the greater than. Earlier on, I think it was in this series or maybe another one of the occasional series that we do. Again, you know, people ask me what I preach. I said, you need to listen to it when I preach it because if you ask me afterwards, I forget what I preached. (laughs) So I don't remember what sermon it was part of, all the details anyway. I remember the main gist. But I remember being shocked by some of, uh, in early... uh, early Baptist history in the American colonies. Uh, there was uh, a man, a pastor by the name of Isaac Bacchus. Isaac Bacchus was, uh, uh, had a unique thing in that they, he, they, he and a, some pastors in what was then British Canada cooperated in many efforts for the purpose of missions and mutual encouragement in the faith. Then something happened in 1776. And there was great concern about whether or not they would be able to continue cooperating. Well, Pastor Bacchus and the Canadian pastor uh, both wrote letters to one another expressing the fact that though our governments may be at war with one another, we are not at war with each other. Because we have a union that transcends their geographic and nation-state identities. 
And so they made sure to continue their cooperation in ways that they could without risking either his life or limb by going into each other's territories. And the same thing happened at the War of 1812 in which they made sure to continue their cooperation. Many of those believers had never met each other, but they had a strong affinity one another. And I remember reading about the fact that uh, there was longing in, in the Canadian pastor, there was longing in his journals to be able to be once again face-to-face with his brothers who were there in Massachusetts, that they might be able to once again work together in person. Once again, reminding us that our union with our, in our union with one another, who is the greater than this greater than our Lord Jesus Christ, is greater than all other possible forms of identity with which we might identity identify. So this greater than has created a greater than union. United to him, which is unbreakable, and bonds with one another that are unbreakable. Bonds with all of his people that are unbreakable. Not only people who live alongside us at the same time, but people throughout history, past, present, and future. All of those who will be and are God's people. Remembering that these believers to whom are being written, that these believers were in danger of drawing back in in fear of persecution. And once again, in this subtle language, he's pointing them to to the greatness of what we have in Christ. And then in the final words, he says, grace be with all of you. This closing anointing, note points us back to the one who is the greater than and our Christian and uh, greater than and how all of our Christian life and how we are to relate to one another and that is in grace our Christian life is lived from grace for grace by grace to grace any preposition take every preposition put it in front of grace that's the Christian life under grace Although grace is over us, we're not over grace. By the grace of God that has been given to us in Christ Jesus, this one who is the greater than. John Owen, he says, And by grace he means the whole good will of God through Jesus Christ and all the blessings that flow from this. And so we say, grace be with all of you. That is what we are saying. Christ be with us. Titus chapter 2 says, And the bringing salvation, grace of God, has appeared to all men. The bringing salvation, grace of God, has appeared to all men, teaching us. And talks about what it is to teach us. What is this bringing bringing salvation, grace of God, that has appeared to all men? That it is Christ Jesus who is the light of the world who lights the gospel before all to whom it comes. So how much we need that. Remembering, but but for the grace of God, we go. Or go I. But for the grace of God, I go, or go I, or we go. Anytime we look at our brother or sister in Christ, let us remember you know, if we're with our brother or sister in Christ and or with our and the, or that brother or sister in Christ also might happen to be our spouse. Nothing related to anything I've experienced here. But as you're sitting at the breakfast table. Eating that bowl of cereal. And once again, your spouse has taken that spoon and scrape the spoon across his or her teeth, and that noise just drives you nuts. And you can hear the sound of them chewing, and you're going, why do they do that? Remember, 
but for the grace of God go I. That comes from a friend of mine, a pastor who in, his, in every premarital counseling session that he does, just where the illustration comes from, the first few sessions he has them, uh, buys for them, each of them their favorite cereal and the type of milk they want, sits them down, uh, puts a bowl of cereal, and then says, okay, pour yourselves a bowl of cereal and eat. I'll be back in a half hour. Usually after the second or third session, they're at each other's throats. And he's teaching them how to learn how to relate to one another in grace. Christ is the evidence of God's grace for us and how much we need that grace. We are never not in need of that grace. And all of that brings us back to this bear with me, my, the, my word of exhortation. What is this word of exhortation that he shared briefly? Remembering that the overall idea of the book of Hebrews, as we've been asserting, is this, the greater than. What is this one who's the greater than? It's not a what, it's a who. Jesus Christ is the greater than. In the very opening words of the book of Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Previously, God had revealed himself in many ways at many times through the prophets, to the fathers, by the prophets. That all-important word, but. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. That's how it reads, in son or by son. That is, by this one whom he is introducing, that first of all, it is asserted, while there has been many previous revelations, we now have with us the greatest revelation, the greater than revelation. This greater than revelation is Jesus Christ. All the previous revelations served their purpose, but now the fulfillment of everything they've been pointing to has come. And as we learned, all of those various covenants... They served their purpose. The new covenant has come. The old covenants are not coming back. For the greater has come. We have this greatest revelation. We, then we see following that he is greater than angels. Verse 1-4, have him become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And we see that there's a sense in which he's greater than angels simply on the virtue in verse 5 of his nature of being divine. According to the divine nature, he is greater than angels. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. How long for God is today? It is eternally. This is speaking about the eternal begetting of the Son. And by the virtue of his divinity, he is greater than angels. But he also became superior to the angels according to his humanity. For he lived in obedience to the law, obeyed the Father, died upon the cross, rose from the dead, and thus inherited a name far superior to the angels as one of us, according to his humanity. Even though for a while he was made lower than the angels. There are many ways in which we are drawn to all sorts of different experiences and all sorts of different um, spectacular things. But in reality, Christ is greater than all of them. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. He says the implication of it is this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to guide those who are being tempted. He partook of the same things as us. Through his death, he destroyed the one who is the power of death. And in so doing, according to his humanity, he is greater than the angels. This means that our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, saves, in the words of other places, to the uttermost those who are His. Thus, it is to our own detriment that we neglect Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. We must pay heed to and keep Christ at the center of our existence here individually and together as a body of believers. As my main, as my wedding ring says at the center, or in the middle of it, inscribed, Christ the center. So he's greater than angels. We also learned in Hebrews chapter 3 into chapter 4 that not only is he greater than angels, he is greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. One of the most significant figures in biblical history is Moses. Moses, the exodus, is at the epicenter of the history of Israel. For Moses was the agent by whom he delivered them from slavery, brought them into, uh, uh, brought them into the land of Canaan, even though they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and then were established um, in the land. Moses m- was the mediator of a covenant. That covenant was one that was given at Sinai. As we look through that section and we all, and into, into the next section, we also saw something about that covenant that Moses gave, that God gave through Moses, is that that covenant had no ability to bring anyone eternal salvation. It could not bring perfection. The blood of bulls and goats could not do that. Why is that? Is because that covenant was one that is rooted in these words. Do this and live. It is a covenant of works. Not for eternal salvation, but for continuing life in the land. It is a temporal covenant for a temporal land. And it demonstrated in living in, in real time, the fact that we failed in the garden, the covenant of works that says do this and live, and cannot do that and live. The sacrifices in the Mosaic covenant had provisions, but they were for life in the land. So we cleave to one who is we cleave to the one greater than Moses, for there is no escape apart from this one who is Jesus Christ. Continues to say in verse 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. In him we have a far greater rest. For Christ did that which we could not do for ourselves. But not only is he greater than Moses. That is, he has provided in Exodus 
of which that first exodus foreshadowed. That first exodus was a type and a shadow of a greater exodus to come. The sacrifices were but types and shadows. That covenant has served its purpose. It served its purpose of preserving a people who would bring in Messiah, who would be redeemer of all people from all different walks of life, Jew and Gentile. And he's telling them, if you go back to Moses, you're not going back to something. You're going back to nothing. Because the greater than Moses has come. That which Moses was typifying is here. A new and better covenant is here. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then hold with confidence, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help and find grace to help in time of need. He is a great high priest, the Son of God who passed through the heavens, so we have every reason to hold on to our confession. This high priest can sympathize with our weaknesses, being one of us. When we looked at this passage, we talked about how in our defense of the divinity of Christ over the last 150 years, in our seeking to defend the doctrine of the divinity of Christ, in some respects we have risked losing the importance of the full humanity of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, there's a standard confession of faith that many broadly evangelical organizations hold to. The confession of faith of the the NAE. And it outright asserts I hold the holding to the full divinity of Christ. But nowhere asserts you have to hold to the full humanity of Christ. When we lose the humanity of Christ, we lose our Savior. For we do not if we lose his humanity, we do not have one who died for us. For God, in his divinity, cannot die. He cannot suffer. Because God cannot be acted upon. But he sympathizes with our weakness. We have this Savior for whom we go, who in this high priest, when we go to him in our struggles, that this is hard, this is painful, this temptation is hard. We have a Savior who says, I know I was tempted. But he did not sin, even in the face of suffering. So how much more was his temptation severe? According to his humanity. Think, in the wilderness, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. In whatever way the devil tempts him, he says, you're the son of man, take those rocks, turn them into bread. According to human needs for sustenance, those rocks looked probably, I can, I can say, probably looked mighty tasty. It was a real temptation, according to his humanity. He truly, really suffered. Not only on the cross, but in the weaknesses of human existence. Yes, the weaknesses of human existence. He experienced all that. And so he sympathizes with us. Furthermore, the high the priests offered sacrifices being beset with weaknesses in chapter five. Because he had to, uh, had to offer sacrifices for his own sins. 
Jesus Christ was heard on account of his own reverence. Verse 7 of chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Because of his own obedience and lack of need of a sacrifice to be presented on his behalf. He fulfilled God's righteous requirement. And this is our high priests. All of the high priests, none of them had this. Furthermore, he's a priest of a different order. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. The priesthood, the priesthood of the Mosaic Covenant could only provide temporal relief or temporal mitigation of judgment for the temporal covenant which could not provide the righteousness God demands. It could not bring perfection, Hebrews asserts. The law in terms of bringing perfection was useless, it says. Not that the law is bad, but the law cannot bring perfection because of our own weakness, our own sin. But Jesus is the king of righteousness. The old covenant was mediated by imperfect priests, so thus it could not bring perfection. But here we have a perfect priest whose intercession perfects those who look to him. Thus we receive, as it says, the righteousness that is by faith. We also see not only is is he greater than the priesthood, he's greater than any sacrifice. In the next section of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 9, 1 through chapter 10, verse 18. We see the absolute, in Hebrews 10, 18 through eleven forty. 40. <clears throat> I'm sorry. In the section of him being the greater sacrifice, we see that he is far greater than any possible sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 tells us, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For with the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. They, pur- they did temporary pur- purific- purification, the old covenant sacrifices. The new covenant, we have a sacrifice that does eternal cleansing. Purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. knowing that he's been offered once to bear sins of many and will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. For it is appointed once for man to die and then to face the judgment. Christ has been judged on our behalf. Then in the next section, we saw in chapter 10 that He says, you have need of endurance. And we see there, beginning in chapter 10, verse 18, the exhortation of the necessity of by faith holding on to the greater than. That is, in needing endurance, what he is saying is we need to rest upon Christ. It is in resting upon Christ that we have endurance. We don't generate endurance. We don't generate strength. It's not in us. Remember, we're not the lions that we fashion ourselves to be. We are sheep, sheep of the great shepherd who need a shepherd. We do do not have the ability in terms of what Hebrews is speaking of to think for ourselves and to make it our own way. We need God to tell us, to reveal to us, 
we see the necessity of holding on to the greater than. To hold on to him is to live by faith in him. The end of chapter 10 speaks much of that. And chapter 11 shows all those who were accepted and commended by God. That they were accepted and commended on account of faith. By faith offered, uh, for example, Abel, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith he died. He still speaks. In accepting his gifts, God showed his commending of Abel. Why did he accept his sacrifice? Is it because he knew better than Cain? To offer a certain type of sacrifice? Was it the quality of the sacrifice? No. God accepted the sacrifice because he accepted Abel. Why did he accept Abel? It says so. Because he had faith. That's what Cain was lacking. He did not believe God. Abel did. And so his sacrifice was accepted. We do not have anything with which to commend ourselves to God. Only faith in Christ. And not even that faith commends us. It is what faith unites us to that commends us to God. Christ. His sacrifice was accepted because by faith he was accepted. We saw by faith the forefathers of the commonwealth of Israel trusted God. And we see that even in going to the land, they were looking forward not to that land itself. That land, as he said in chapter 11, verse 9 and following, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, speaking of Abraham as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That Abraham, when he was going into the land, he wasn't looking Primarily, as he even asserts a little bit further, for a piece of land in the Levant. He was looking for the city whose foundations were built by God. The same heavenly city of which he speaks later. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking of that land from which they had gone out, that is, we're looking for a new homeland, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They were not after, ultimately, a piece of dirt. They were after a heavenly city. But as he says later that we looked at very recently, in Hebrews 13, here we have no lasting city. But we have the one to come. We have no homeland here. There is no Christian homeland here. It is uh, one of a great mistake of history that in misreading and trying to apply the old covenant to the new covenant, Christians running around the world trying to find a Christian homeland when we have a homeland all along already. It's an eternal one. And by faith we have all that. By faith. By trusting him and looking to him. 
So that, so that word of exhortation is keep holding on to Jesus. Which he then moves on to in chapter 12. In which he opens up with the words, Since therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter or the beginning and end of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. He then moves on to the principle, the, what he speaks of in terms of growing in the greater than, which begins with this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the beginning and end of our faith. That he endured the, endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Because of what was set before him. It's already his, and thus he endured It's already ours, so thus we endure. It's ours, so we endure. We make the mistake, a grave mistake, if we look at this in terms of saying we endure in order to get. We endure because we have, because Christ got for us. By faith, we grow in the greater than. So we look to him who is the beginning and end of our faith. We understand discipline is a matter of God's care and assurance for us. So we have every reason to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So we are free and commanded for the dual pursuit of peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It doesn't simply say the generic and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, but it says and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What is the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? Is that a sense of, of, of yeah, I'm generally holy, though I still got some sin? No. The holiness without which no one will see the Lord is absolute perfection. A holiness which Christ Fulfilled on our behalf. A holiness which is ours. And he says pursue that holiness. That holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We will see the Lord because Christ fulfilled it for us. And the MO of Christianity is pursuing that holiness. And part of that is pursuing peace with all men. Including bringing them, seeking to bring them to peace with Christ. And being peaceable with them. We see continuing exhortation, staying away from unbelief and idolatry, seeking to be true to him, loving one another, keeping the marriage bed pure. But because of what we have and holding on to him, when our knees are weak and our legs are feeble, he says, pick them up because Christ is our strength, because Christ is our life and our hope. So, brothers and sisters, we have Christ who is the greater than. There are all sorts of things commanding our attention. Things that are very very subtly can take us off course. Remember, for the Christian, for the one who loves truth, the devil does not present himself in ways that are obviously the devil. The devil presents himself in ways that appeals to our sense of righteousness and goodness. Just as he did in the garden. Tempts us in a veil of goodness and truth. But if pursued a little further, has underneath it insidious error and blasphemy. So, brothers and sisters, the only way to avoid that is to remember the greater than, Christ Jesus, and to hold on to him, remembering what is the beginning and end of Christianity. What is true and what is good, for he is the truth. And so, therefore, brothers, let us bear the word of exhortation that is here. Christ is the greater than. So hold on to him by faith. And by that, let us grow in him. Let us pray.
Father, thank you for the our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greater than. May we hold on to him, trust him, believe in him, and grow in him. We ask our Lord that you would lead us in all that is true. And all that is good. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.